bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. Today on Secrets of Staffing Success, we're going to do something really different. Uh, our guests are going to be us. So Vicki, we're going to talk about 25 years of supporting the staffing industry because just a few weeks ago, we celebrated our 25th birthday. Uh, are you ready to step back in time? Do we have to? <laughs> yes. Sure, we were younger then. We were much younger then. But two weeks ago, and then we whisked off on vacation and just got back. And now you expect me to have a coherent conversation. <laughs> okay, let's try. Absolutely. So we're going to think back to, let's see, I'm going to go all the way back to pre-1996. So thinking about why Haley Marketing was founded, we launched August of 1996. But um, our genesis really didn't start with wanting to build a marketing company. Um, for everybody who may not know our story, what did we do before? <laughs> we had a couple of failed businesses. <laughs> we had a couple <laughs> attempts at, at businesses we probably had no business being in. Uh, do you remember, well, which one should we start with? Forget-me-nots or pro-code or career coach? Which one would you like to start with? Uh, none of the above. Let's, let's go out to the staffing universe because those are, those are all, as we like to refer to them, those were the real MBA that we received getting ready. But it, it was good lessons. I mean, really, the two of us didn't have marketing backgrounds. We both had IT backgrounds. And through starting failed ventures, um, actually learned a hell of a lot that set us up for where we are today. So I'll step back to 1993 and being part of my parents' staffing business and hearing a guy named Jim Cecil talk about a concept he referred to as nurture marketing. And it was so simple. It was basically stop trying to sell to people all the time. Nobody wants to be sold to. And instead, find ways to nurture relationships, position yourself as an expert, make yourself top of mind, uh, become a trusted advisor. Basically, he was doing content marketing long before anybody called it content marketing. And I remember I heard him speak through the tech organization, fell in love with him, uh, forced my parents to listen in. And um, lo and behold, we convinced them to implement that in their staffing company. I think you need to tell the story of Black Bamboo. It's, it's outside your, it's right, it's framed and outside of your office. You look at it every single day. You need to tell that story. I'll paraphrase it, right? If anyone wants to read the whole thing, it's on our website under our philosophy. But the story goes as follows. And it's a story about a, a farmer who plants a seed in the ground. And he plants the seed for Black Bamboo in the ground. And for the novice farmer, you plant it, you water it, you fertilize it. And in the first year, nothing happens. Then in the second year, you continue to water and fertilize and make sure it gets enough sunshine and nothing happens. And then it continues the third year, the fourth year, the same process, nothing happens. And then in the fifth year, about halfway through the year, all of a sudden a stalk breaks through the ground and you see the first shoot from the bamboo. And then over the course of the next six weeks, the bamboo grows to 20 feet high. And the parable of the story is, you know, did that growth occur 20 feet in six weeks or was it 20 feet in five years? And Jim's nurture marketing is it's 20 feet in five years. And we've learned that lesson over and over again, that you have to plant seeds and water and nurture over sometimes an extended period of time. But they just had a client come in um, early 2021 who said, you finally got me. It took 15 years. Um, but you guys have just demonstrated that you can do what I need. And now he's a very happy client of ours. And his only regret was, why the hell did I wait 15 years? <laughs> it's a great story. And it's persistence. But it's also, you know, providing value. Because Jim, it was about 
sending educational content, not about sales materials and trying to sell, 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 sell. It's about providing value. And we've built an entire company around providing value and not having to sell. Yeah, Lynn, and if you think back to when we launched the business, um, a lot of things we saw in the staffing market in 1993 weren't that different than today. The technology today is vastly different. Mm -hmm. The industry's gotten more sophisticated, but salespeople still made tons of cold calls. Um, by and large, they didn't have, at least the ones in the organizations we saw, didn't have great strategies for planning out who do I go after? Where are my strategic prospects? How do I reach that senior level decision maker? And what's the right message versus the HR manager versus the frontline supervisor? And what's the right message? Uh, I remember seeing call reports from salespeople working for my parents' company where they would drive 400 miles in a week. And for those who don't know Western New York's geography, to have a 400 miles of driving in one week of selling, you almost have to go from the northernmost part of Western New York to the Southern back and forth multiple times every single day over five days to hit 400 miles. But they were doing that because there was no good planning. And then when we heard Jim's model and thought about nurturing relationships and being strategic about who you target, it made so much sense for mom and dad. And we saw that you know, this is an opportunity for any small business and all staffing companies to find a better way to, as you said, you know, nurture those relationships over time. Not dropping off donuts. Is that what you're, <laughs> I always like remember those days when we had to design donut boxes and, and our team at Carrie Allen or key resource group, your parents' company, they would deliver donuts uh, or the candy jar. And we, you know, the, the reason for the follow-up call was to fill up the candy jar. And yes. I remember there was one HR manager that literally, if you didn't come armed with chocolate, yes, she would I turn remember. you away from the appointment. Yep. You can't come unless you have your chocolate. Thanks. Well, let's fast forward. So, you know, that was 1993. We launched in 1996 to bring this Jim Cecil nurture marketing concept to the staffing industry. How do you see where we are today? Yeah, hard question. <laughs> that was a jump, right? That's 25 years. from. We'll fill, we're, we'll fill in the middle in a minute. I thought we were talking about 1996. And all I can think about in 1996 was, you know, I had an infant at home. We had a startup business. We made no money. Uh, I think we weren't profitable for the first oh, five or six years. Um, those were tough times. Those are really tough times. Where are we now? Well, I'm happy to say we've launched three young adults <laughs> into the world and the company is, um, is living our values and, and building a lot of people's dreams, which I'm so proud of. We have 60 employees now. We start out with two, you and Mandy, not even me. I was paying the bills. Um, and now we put food on the table for 60 families. And I'm so proud of that. And I think that we have such an amazing team and we've come so long, so far in 25 years. I look back and sometimes I think, wow, 25 years is a long time. And it seems like a, a minute sometimes too. It does. And I, I, I look at it like when we started, <clears throat> we, were, we weren't even a marketing company. We were a ghost writing company, writing mm -hmm. sales letters to help people, salespeople in the industry stay top of mind. Today, we're probably as much, if not more, a technology company as a marketing company. And you know, that's thanks to you and Rick, our CTO, who have built so many products over the years to support the industry. Um, our career portal software now being used by more than 700 staffing companies. Our Haley Mail email marketing platform, I just was looking, managing more than 6 million email recipients, either getting... Uh, emails from clients trying to nurture relationships, the modern version of Jim Cecil, or people opting into alerts from that career portal software. I, I heard today, I was having a conversation with Rick and he mentioned that we're adding 8,000 new jobs every single day on the career portal. It's mind blowing. You know, the fact that we now represent more than 200,000 jobs in the staffing industry that we're managing Mm -hmm. um, it kind of blows me away. I, 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 I'm humbled by the opportunity we have to play that kind of a role, to have that kind of an impact. I think last year we took through, through our clients and that software, 3 million job applications. I just think, you know, we're, we don't directly put people to work. It's what our clients do. 
but playing a small role in helping to facilitate that many people getting jobs, going to work, um, it makes me feel really good about what we do. Yeah, me too. I, I think that resonates with our team as well. But I also want to you know point out we've been through multiple recessions and we've never had a layoff. We've never furloughed anyone. We've never been in that position because we are very careful about the way we run the business. We're very conservative about how we make decisions. And, and that is a plus, but also a minus. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, we're going to get into some of the lessons over the last 25 years. And um, I'll, I'll take a lot of the ownership of that because uh, I grew up in a small business. You grew up in a small family business mm-hmm. too. Um, but I think for me, even more so than you, I didn't always think big. I would think small because I would be okay, the right word is afraid, afraid of making a mistake, afraid of taking too big a financial risk. Um, and I just don't like to spend money. So, <laughs> Yes, I know. <laughs> but all of those things were lessons that took, some of which took a long time to learn about how to appropriately invest and how to think bigger than that, let's grow five or 10% next year. Uh, yeah. How do you have some of that, that, 10x kind of mentality. And I think we're still working on that. I really do. I think often uh, we stay in the staffing industry because we love the staffing industries. We're, we're experts in that. Where That's where our knowledge lies. And that's where our um, all the years of building relationships is. But it also is thinking a bit smaller. We could be outside the staffing industry. And I know that's come up multiple times over the 25 years. And we've always made the decision, no, you know, there's still more market share in the staffing industry that we aren't serving and that we can provide value to. And there's plenty of opportunity here. But I don't know if that's going to change. What do you think? Well, I think that's really a very relevant lesson for anybody who's in the staffing industry. So if you think this show is just about Haley Marketing, I, I want you to think about your staffing business. And one of the most common mistakes that I've seen in 25 years that small business owners make is that they want to serve everybody. So they may say, yeah, I'm, I'm really good at administrative staffing, but I also need to be doing accountants because I, you know, we placed an accountant and I like the, the direct hire fee that we got for making an account placement. So my website needs to say administrative and accounting, even though they're not really that strong in that area or they're afraid to have a vertical market focus because, well, we did work with somebody in that industry before and I I don't wanna shut them out. And one of our secrets of success is doing exactly what you just mentioned, is focusing on a market. Sure, we've got competitors. There's some very good competitors we go up against in the staffing industry. They've changed over the last 25 years. The the good competitors from 1996 are not here today. Uh, maybe hopefully the competitors we're going up against now will we'll all be here in 25 years. But that focus means instead of competing with, like I think here in Buffalo, there's a hundred companies that can build a website. At least there, there's <laughs> one company that specializes in building websites for staffing here in Buffalo. So if you look at your staffing business and you might say, yes, I could do this. That's not the best strategy for growth. The best strategy for growth is where am I the best and how do I focus on it? It doesn't mean you have to say no when somebody comes and asks you. And we've built websites for people. We've built done marketing for people that have nothing to do with staffing because they found us or were referred to us. But by sticking to what you know, that's the key to growth. And I think that's the question that came up every year in strategic planning until probably about 2006 or 2007, we said enough. We're not going to look outside staffing. It's been a decade. Let's focus just on what we're good at. Well, it's one, it's something that differentiates our, ourselves from others. And it's something, you know, when I talk to my EO network, we've talked about EO a lot, entrepreneurs organization a lot on this, on this show. Um, it's integral to who we are, I think it's, but when I talk with other EOers, they're always surprised that we are in this small niche. Is it really enough work in that small area? <laughs> they're shocked at how big staffing the industry is. And the fact that, you know, we can, provide much better service and much better value and much better understanding since we know our clients and their businesses so well, which you couldn't do if you're providing the same services across multiple industries. Yeah, absolutely. Well, all right. I, I said earlier that we need to, to step back in time and you mentioned that it wasn't always the easiest, that it literally took us five or six years till we made a, a positive result for a year in business. 
Um, but there were a lot of other lessons learned. And uh, hopefully some of the lessons that we learned over 25 years, anybody listening, uh, that some of these lessons will benefit you and you don't have to go through 25 years of ups and downs uh, to solve the issues in your own business. So Vicki, uh, let's start with you. What's one of your favorite lessons learned? Hmm. I, I think, you know, I like to look at this, if I was gonna go back and do it over, what would I change? What would I have done differently? as the lessons learned. And there are a couple of things that I would have done upfront that I don't think we did early enough, like um, defining our values, our core values, really having a strong grasp on what makes us tick, what we will accept and what is not negotiable. And knowing that right from day one makes decision-making so much easier, makes hiring so much easier, makes, um, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people much easier. And I think it's much easier to keep your integrity and make choices, even if you're not making money, if you know those values, you don't compromise. So knowing that upfront. Yeah, it's sort of funny, like it's one of those business school 101 things uh, is define your core values and your mission and your vision. Yeah, I think a lot of business owners, they sort of do it, but it doesn't really dictate who they are, how they operate. And you know, I know we made a change and it was only in the last two years, thanks to you're going to the entrepreneurial master's program um, and really learning that who hiring process, we really did a great job of starting to tie values to hiring, mm-hmm. values to our 555, our quarterly review process. Um, and we're measuring people against values. And if, if you're not a, hey, your act, actions fit the values most or all of the time, we're having conversations. And in some cases, we're suggesting to people that then this isn't the right place for you. Find an organization that fits your values because you'll enjoy work more. You'll enjoy your career and your life more. Yeah, it's not going through the motions. I think early on, we did mission, vision, values. We did all of those right things, but we didn't know enough. You know, when you're in your 20s, you know everything. And you, (laughs) we didn't know enough to actually realize that you have to actually breathe, live and breathe it. You can't just write it on a piece of paper and set it aside. And now we live and breathe it. And it's made a huge impact on our team and our business. And just, it's a much better place to work because we have the right people in the right seats. Yeah. For, for me, if I had to look back over favorite lessons learned and it's tied to that, it was, um, I was going to say hire the right people, but that's the wrong way to say it it's to know the right job. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is the darkest day in Haley Marketing's history. I think it was 1998, mm-hmm. uh, two years into our existence. And you know exactly what day I'm talking about. I sure do. So when we launched the company, we were, Vicki mentioned, there were two of us. And by necessity, we were jacks of all trades. As we started to build the team and we hired our first three team members, we hired people who wanted to be jacks of all trades. You needed to be able to consult with clients, to write, to do a little bit of desktop publishing layout work. Um, You were basically doing every aspect of selling, coaching, service delivery for for the client because that's how we started and that's what we thought the job looked like. And in 1998, we accidentally discovered the people doing the job were really unhappy, miserable, is and so far so badly, I guess that we had this dark Friday. Um, I don't know other way to describe it, where we fired everyone. We literally got rid of every one of our team members. It was horrible. It was, you know, the analogy goes, if you have a cancer in an organization, you have to cut it out. And we had a cancer in the organization and it wasn't these people's fault. They were really good people. They were the right people, but as Jim Collins would say, they, they weren't in the right seat mm-hmm. because we didn't know what the seat looked like. We, we actually, I remember we did an exercise where we mapped out all the duties of the job these people were doing. And we figured out how many of those tasks were mostly administrative in nature And how many of those tasks really required the consulting level skills that we hired these people to provide? And out of 21 monthly tasks, three required their knowledge and expertise. 18 were admin. And once we figured that out, we 
reconfigured the job so that we could have people who enjoyed the administrative work doing that work and people who enjoyed the consulting work doing that work. And now, since that time, uh, thankfully, turnover has been very, very low and job satisfaction has been much higher. But that's probably for me is the most painful lesson was that knowing how to define the jobs correctly. Well, and I, I think there's another part to that. It's like, it's really caring about the people that are on our team. And part of that is making sure that their work is fulfilling and works toward their strengths. And they're not constantly trying to work towards their weaknesses. We're trying to make strength stronger um, and having that level of respect for each person on our team for what they want and where their careers are and what they're good at and where they want to go and really working with each individual to create that path for them here at Haley Marketing Group, or, you know, in some cases, not here at, here at Haley Marketing Group, because it's just not the right fit. But I think that caring about people, I think that's part of, um, not necessarily a lesson learned, but very core to learning from that experience. I've seen you do that with multiple people where you identified a passion of theirs and the real passion wasn't with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one particular individual was a talented web developer, but he did that because it paid the bills. What he really loved was photography. And we didn't have the opportunity for him to be a full-time photographer. Uh, he happened to freelance on the side. An opportunity came up with a big fashion brand for him to join their organization. And I distinctly remember you saying to this guy who didn't want to leave, you need to do, do this. You will, you will always have regret if you don't pursue your dream. And you encouraged him to to take a risk, to believe in himself and to go pursue what he really loved to do. And we hated losing him. He was a great guy. I hope he did what was right for him. him. Yeah. I mean, think about that though. You're in your twenties, maybe late twenties in his case, and you have an opportunity and you don't take that opportunity. That's for me. um, I think that another lesson is really being an authentic leader and not a manager. Like I don't manage people. I manage process. I'm a leader. And that means I'm going to step in. I'm going to be my authentic self. I'm going to model the behavior I would like others to do. And I'm here to lead people to make things better for them. Taking the courage to go first, stepping in, rolling up my sleeves, doing, you know, I've done everything in this company. I, at one point in another, even scrubbing toilets at one point, you know, you don't love that. And as an entrepreneur, you don't really sign up for that, but that, that is what it is. You do what needs to be, needs to be done. The other side of that is I really, this is probably a more recent um, lesson learned, but feedback is a gift when somebody's not doing their job well, or somebody needs to improve something, or, you know, there, somebody has a, nervous tick when they speak in front of a crowd or something, you have to give that feedback to that person so that they're aware. And that's a gift. It's not difficult. It's not mean. It's not nasty. It's a gift. I present to you this gift. We're both uncomfortable, but you're going to be a better person for it. And you're going to be thankful for being able to be aware of it. And if I don't do that, I'm holding back and that's not being authentic. So I think that leadership versus management and um, learning how to hold people accountable and providing feedback and being willing to step in whenever you need to step in. Those are all lessons that were learned along the way. Yeah, you, you sort of hit a nerve for me there because, um, all right, uh, we're gonna have a moment of authenticity and transparency here. <laughs> I'm bad with conflict. I reframe it. it like the plague. Yeah, you and just reframe I, it. I will, I will run from it, but and, that, and particularly when you're managing people that you really like and you have to give them that negative feedback, that, that input on their career or their performance that they don't want to hear, um, the easiest, I mean, the analogy is to, to make the pardon language shit sandwich and yeah. try to frame it, but that's the wrong way to handle it. doesn't work. Because all I'm trying to do is, is I end up softening what they really needed to hear and then they may not hear it. They focus on the before and the after and not the nasty middle part. Uh, learning to be direct about not criticizing the individual, that's not the right thing, but learning to analyze the action, analyze the outcome, what went wrong, and everything's 
an opportunity to learn. It's one of the big lessons for me is no, no matter what happens, goes right, goes wrong, you learn from it, you get better. I mean, to me, the only failure is the person who gives up. Absolutely. I, I worry about some of our teammates that don't fail often enough. And I've had several conversations along 25 years uh, with certain people with, you know, you're not pushing yourself if you're not failing. If you're not making mistakes, you're sitting in a comfort zone and you'll never grow if you don't make mistakes, if you don't push yourself past what's comfortable, if you don't do those things that you're afraid of doing, if you don't try to learn and grow and change and progress, you're doing yourself a disservice. I, so, I know you've done that in training for our success team, where you've literally told people, I want you to get on the desk, start answering tickets and bring me all the ones where it was a mistake. Right. I want to and, see the mistakes. We're going to measure. They're, it, not they're terrified KPI, of that. Right. Your KPI is not on, on how many tickets you responded to. It's how many got wrong because I expect a certain number to be wrong. That's how you learn. You know, for somebody in staffing, it's this sort of the same thing. If I want someone to be a good recruiter, a good salesperson, well, they're not going to master their recruiting technique or their selling technique by playing it safe. They're going to master it by getting out of their comfort zone, tripping over their own feet a few times, mm-hmm. forgetting what they were going to say in the middle of a meeting, but the next time they'll get it right. And you can afford to have some losses. The faster we can fail forward, the faster we can learn, the more successful that person's going to be. There's another aspect to that. You get comfortable, not comfortable, but you get used to failure. You get used to being transparent and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I don't know. Or sorry, I made a mistake. It's honest. You're human. It's fine. But if you're constantly working towards perfection, you stay in your comfort zone. You don't make the mistakes. Then when a mistake does happen, it's devastating. But if you make little minor mistakes all along the way, just another little thing, right? I just learned from this and I say, oh, I'm sorry, or I don't know. And it's very natural and normal. And I, I don't know why that's so difficult for most of us, but I see that. I see that across our team and I see it across our clients. You know, that you get the client that made a mistake, they made a change on their website, broke something, and get very upset instead of saying, Hey, you know what? I made a mistake. Can you help me fix it? They turn it around and get, you know, upset and create this bigger issue than it is when we could just fix it for you. No problem. It's a mistake. And we'll teach you how to do it better. Yeah. I actually heard a podcaster talking about the educational system. You think about the, the whole high school process and getting ready for college. Kids are trained to never make a mistake. Yeah. Oh, you didn't, you, you didn't get, you know, 4.0 in high school. Oh, you weren't the president of the club. Oh, you weren't a star athlete. You know, any little mistake and you've blown your future. You're not going to college. You're not getting to the school of your dreams. Um, that's the lesson that kids are being taught in high school. So they get to the working world. They've just spent the last four, maybe eight years of high school and college being told it's not okay to make a mistake. Now they get to work and most companies are going to have a performance management system where it may or may not be okay to make a mistake, but more than likely they're going to be knocked for making a mistake, not rewarded for taking risks Mm -hmm. because it's harder to have a KPI that rewards people for taking risks But if you look at a lot of the fastest growing, most admired, most successful companies, they absolutely reward risk. I hope we do that here. So I I, I want to pivot a little bit because that kind of brought me to another lesson for me that's been a big one in in our history, getting beyond just the people issues. That's about business models. And I think this one's really applicable to staffing right now. So there were multiple instances in our past where we had to scrap a business model and almost start over. So for those of you who were in the staffing industry around the year 2000, you may remember Y2K. And of course, everybody, uh, tomorrow is 9-11. So everyone is 20 year remembrance of what happened on that terrible day. But that year, between 2000 and 2001, and then up to 2002, the staffing industry went through a recession partly fueled by Y2K not being the end of the world, partly fueled by 9-11. It was pretty ugly for temporary staffing companies. And we were very dependent on how the industry does. And in a six-month period of time during that recession, we lost about two-thirds of our clients whose their business fell. And of course, everyone said, don't stop marketing. But when it's either cut your salesperson or cut marketing, they cut marketing. Mm -hmm. We're like, how do we survive? We're down to a third of our clientele. How do we stay in business? And we made a huge pivot. We took our core Jim Cecil product 
and we split it up into pieces and we took our pricing and we took our and we cut our pricing to less than a third of what we were charging and it was going to be a completely different business model to survive mm-hmm. we didn't know if it would work but it worked almost instantaneously we we skyrocketed back up past the number of clients we had prior to the fall starting it enabled us to grow faster, to grow in new ways, to get into new lines of service because we were willing to throw out that business model. You and I had a background in IT. And up till that point in time, we made that pivot. We also were not building websites because we, we both said, hey, you know, websites aren't, aren't like a brochure. It's a software application that always needs updates, never stays current, mm-hmm. uh, requires a developer. That's still all true today. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to do it because we thought it'd be really hard for our clientele to appreciate our value. And we made the decision in 2003 that that has to be something that we do. That was a really good decision. We pivoted our business model. We broke our core product, pivoted our business model. So for staffing companies today, you're facing digital transformation. You're facing online staffing. The traditional, you're facing direct sourcing. So the traditional models of temporary staffing and direct hire may not be the models that drive your success two, three, five years from now, you have to be willing to challenge your core business model and say, is there a better business model that's more in alignment with what my clients want? That's very true. And I think often we get, this is another lesson learned that pivots off or that builds off of that. I think that often we don't make decisions, even though we know, you know, the business is changing, the staffing climate is changing, the, the economy is changing, people are working remote, the pandemic is still going on. Um, all these things are happening and we don't know what to do. So we're afraid and we don't take that first step. You don't have to have a clear path laid out in front of you. You just have to take that first step. So I think it's okay not to know what you're doing, but to know that you need to make a change. And I saw that happen throughout our many years. And and you mentioned it, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen when we pivoted the business multiple times. We didn't know if that was going to be a good mover or not. We just knew that if it was good, it was going to be good. And if it didn't work out, we would make a change and we would make it work. Um, but, but we didn't know what to do. And we didn't exactly know how it was going to work out. Yeah. It, I have a very related lesson that I wrote down is that ignorance can be a blessing. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you know a lot about an industry, you get blinders on saying, this is how the industry works. We came into the marketing industry without a background in marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, had, we had learned marketing lessons. We had read books but you didn't work for an ad agency. I never worked for an ad agency. Uh, we both worked for a, a large bank and then some small businesses and you worked for Xerox in, in between there too. So we didn't have any relevant experience, but I think had we known what we know today, it would have been harder to start the business knowing what we know. Yeah. Because we would see all the pitfalls. We'd see all the competitors. We would see the difficulty of driving sales instead of this sort of ignorant optimism that we can make it happen. Well, and I, that, that belief you can make it happen is so powerful. We, we would have created rules and a box with which we would have had to live in. And I see that happening. You know, a lot of times that happens in your own business. I don't know if we're doing it now or not, but I see that with some of our clients that this is how we've always done business. This is how we're always going to do business because this is what we do. And this is what we know. And really have to step outside that and look at other industries and learn from them or look to different places, read different books, experience other things, and then bring that into the industry and make change that way. It's funny, as you're saying that I'm thinking of probably, you know, sometimes I get on soapboxes about and and preach about things that I think should happen. And I've been on this soapbox for 25 years and I've never been successful, (laughs) but I'll I'll preach it again today on the show. So one one of the things that sort of drives me crazy about the staffing industry, particularly direct hire executive recruiting, is that it's an industry built on all custom services. So a client, I I go to a client, I find a hiring need, I build a talent sourcing model for that hiring need, I recruit, I vet, I pass the candidates along, and I try to fill that need. Nothing wrong with that model. But as part of the model, I'm usually discovering lots of potential candidates who would like new employment, are well-qualified, And then most companies will just turn around and skill market those people at the end. But nobody's developed a system saying, hey, that that customs fill 
That's our full fee service. But the database we generated from that custom fill, well, we have a different pricing model if you buy out of inventory, pardon the analogy. <laughs> but if you basically, if, if I can turn one placement or one search into two, three, four, five placements, my gross margin, my effective hourly bill rate mm -hmm. on my time is thousands of dollars an hour higher than if I only made that one placement. And this is the soapbox of my audience. I don't understand why more recruiting firms, and please feel free to write me and tell me why I'm stupid on this one, but why more of them don't have sort of a two-pronged service delivery model, recruit to order versus buy from inventory. Now, I think you're going to see more of that with online staffing because employers are starting to get the hang of, I can go to an Upwork. I can find my own candidate. And I'm going to pay a 10% fee, not mm -hmm. a 25% fee when it's DIY. So a competitor from outside the staffing industry is bringing that into the staffing industry. But I don't see more recruiting firms being willing to really challenge their business models. Because that competitor doesn't know how it's always been done, doesn't know that, you know, this is the way staffing works. This is the industry, much like we didn't know what ad agencies did. And we didn't know that, you know, you had to do dog and ponies. And we didn't know that you sold your time by the hour because we didn't know that. So we didn't do it. I was thinking it's it's more like when we were driving a car and we went into the Czech Republic and we couldn't read any of the signs. And so we decided that if we couldn't read the signs, they don't apply to you. Yes. Um, that wasn't a great strategy, by the way. It worked but it was a very, that was a very real strategy because we had no idea what the street signs meant because we couldn't, couldn't even decipher them. In Germany, we could sort of decipher them. Created um, I think going, adventure. In, going into an industry when you can't read the rules, you can't see the signs allows you to be creative because you don't know any better. And that, that can be a real asset. Yeah. And that, that's a great lesson learned. Do you have a, we're, we're over on time a little bit here, but do you have another one that you want to? Yeah. Another one. Um, it's one of my favorite stories about one of your biggest successes. It's the, don't be afraid to say we can do that. And I know I drive you nuts because I'm always the person who says we can do that. Then I run to your office and say, how do we do that? So for no, those you who say, never, heard that. The, never heard the story um, <laughs> back in 1999, when we were implementing the Jim Cecil model, it was all direct mail based. Letters and articles would go out. And we had a client in Chicago that called us and said, hey, we love this process. We're in a super competitive city with a thousand staffing companies. We have 50 salespeople that work for our organization and simply doing this nurture marketing, it's positioning us at a different level. People see us as an expert. It's creating conversation starters that lead to better discussions. However, it's 1999. Who wants direct mail? Everyone wants email. I bet they regret after asking for that. Who everyone wants email. Can you guys deliver this nurture marketing via email? And I said, sure, we can do that. And then I ran to Vicky's office and said, how the hell are we going to do that? We weren't a technology company. We, we at that point in time outsourced getting our own website built because we didn't have any of those capabilities in-house in 1999. But we figured it out. Vicky, you and Rick figured it out. Well, <laughs> yeah, it took multiple people before Rick and then we figured it out. But yeah, that was, I remember, I distinctly remember that day. I remember sitting at my desk and you coming in and you're so excited about this new idea. And <laughs> actually I was in the office that you're in right now. That was my desk um, and thinking he's out of his mind. Like, what are we going to do there? There were no services. MailChimp didn't exist. Constant contact. There was no email systems out there. We had to build our own from scratch. And we, again, didn't know what we didn't know. So we said, okay, we're going to do it. And we found a way to do it. Yeah. And we ended up, you know, originally we were quoted $15,000 to this. And that was, that was a big swallow for a company that was losing money, but we yes. thought we had to do it. And our total cost on the project, once we had gone through four different companies to find someone who could actually bring our vision to life, was more like $150,000. Didn't put us out of business. I don't know how. But when that 2003 recession really took hold and we needed to pivot, it was that software that saved us. Yeah. It's that software today that manages 6 million people receiving email. It's that same software as the backend engine behind our career portal. And it's integrated with our net social. So had we not been afraid to say, or had we been afraid to say, we can't do that. We might, we never would have survived yeah, the downturn. I, I totally agree. And that was definitely a take action, step into the unknown and face your fears and, you know, put the money on it and trust yourself and bet on your own self. 
So that was a really good one. Okay, before we wrap up, because you already said we're over on time, but I, I want to make sure we do at least one thing. We talked about the past. How about the future? So let's let's kind of look a little forward a little bit and just a couple of points. You know, we've been doing this for 25 years. The staffing industry has matured so much. Marketing has matured so much. Technology has matured so much. I have no idea how to look 25 years into the future because I'm not even sure technology will resemble anything like what we have today. But how about the next three to five years? What, what do you think things might look like and we talk about the, the marketing stack. Maybe you can introduce that and, and where that's going. Well, I think it's a lot like technology. Things are changing rapidly. Um, you can decide whether that's the economy, that's the political climate, that's the just technology, the Moore's law and how things work. But technology is a big aspect of marketing. And, you know, digital marketing wasn't a thing when we first started. And now it's 50% um, of our business, maybe more. And there'll, there'll be more of that. But just launching social media ads out there for the sake of being seen, really not a great strategy. So I think you're going to see um, some technology. I always like to talk about really futuristic technologies like the AR, VR uh, mixed reality stuff and blockchain and how we're going to use blockchain. And that stuff's probably a little farther out than three to five years, but it's right there. But right now, like marketing automation, if you're not doing marketing automation, you're probably starting to get behind the times. You don't have three to five years to catch up. Um, recruitment marketing really need to make an effort. There's more jobs, job openings than there are people to fill them. There's so many people that have left the job market that we have to find other ways to fill jobs. And that goes to automation of work as well. So positioning for staffing, I think, has to be more about getting the job done than placing the person. Because when somebody comes to a staffing agency, they want work done. They don't need a person. It's like the, you know, when you sell a shovel, are you selling the shovel or you want the hole? You really want the hole. So I think changing that thought process and how do we get work done and how does the staffing agency facilitate that? That's going to be big. Yeah. I think one of the other things we had a guest um, on recently, uh, Jan Jelinski, and he talked about a lot of companies implementing technology and, we, and Robert Huffmaster also talked about technology. Mm -hmm. yep. it was, I think it was Robert who said that, um, you know, you've got all these companies implementing the same tools mm -hmm. and mostly in the same ways. And he said like, this has become a huge transformation transference of gross margin from yeah. staffing companies to technology companies to not create competitive advantage because we're all playing to look the same. And so as I look two to three years out, as more companies get into automation and online staffing, I think the need to go back to fundamentals, your values, your differentiation, what do you stand for? What's your expertise? That's going to become even more important. Companies may have to find, you know, there's, there's an old expression, there's riches in the niches, mm -hmm. but becoming micro-focused on things you can own. Um, in the book, Good to Great, they talk about you know, your flywheel and what you can be the best in the world at doing. And I think every staffing company needs to think about for a specific audience, what market are we the best in the world at delivering a certain value, that work getting done that you just mentioned, that solution to an industry problem. The more clearly a company can define that and articulate that, the easier it is to make their marketing and sales and recruiting efforts more successful. Um, another one that I want to hit on, because I know it's, it's, it's sort of contrarian to what we do for a living, but it's something I've heard you say a lot, websites. Where do you see them going? Well, you know, websites, the, the hub of your marketing stack, the top of your marketing stack, I don't know what the right terminology might be, but it's also a commodity. Like you can go to Wix and build your own website. Now, I, I definitely would not recommend that, but you can, and you can do it for free. Again, I wouldn't recommend doing that. There's a lot of reasons, but you're, it's, it's so important that all of your marketing is driving to that website. And then your website becomes like a branch office. And that allows you to convert and sell and take job orders and take applications and then maybe marry those two together and make that placement. So it's really, really important that your website actually work for you. And that, that's why I would say don't use Wix because you really need somebody that can help you convert. It's not just a pretty picture, but it's definitely a commodity. Yeah. And, and to build on what you're saying, if you think about that 
digital branch office. Mm -hmm. And marry that to the fact that this trend towards remote work is permanent. Mm-hmm. Now, not every business will remain fully remote. Most are going to be some sort of hybrid. But what that's going to mean is that even if you're a small solo recruiter or you're a staffing company that only works in one geographic market, you're now probably going to have to recruit talent nationally, maybe globally for your clients. You're going to have to become an expert, not just at staffing, but at building staffing models. So how do I have some people that are in the office, some people that are remote, some people that are offshore, a staffing company that can master that has huge opportunities. And the place that all your candidates and clients are going to go to, to interact with you is going to be your website or a progressive web app or your dedicated mobile app, but they're going to be interacting with you through their phone as a web portal rather than in their phone as a talking device. <laughs> I don't think our kids even know how to make a phone call on their phone. <laughs> I know they don't know how to answer one. Right? <laughs> did, did you want to go through each of the areas like digital marketing? Um, or no, just you- any other, any other highlights you have. Let's, you know, you, you mentioned technology and, and you mentioned things like AR, VR, blockchain. It's futuristic, but it's also there now. I saw, what was it two days ago? Facebook announced their partnership with Ray-Bans. Okay. Yeah. So they basically just invented Twitter or the, uh, uh, Snapchat's goggles. Sorry, I couldn't think of the brand. But they now have glasses with the camera. But I think that's just step one for Facebook is taking video in to make stories. That's going to become an AR tool, meaning your, your lenses and your glasses are going to be your screen. Your hands are going to be your gesturing device and the, the camera there will see what your hands are doing. So I no longer need a handset. I, Facebook's or Apple's already said they see the handset going away within the next few years. That kind of technology, you also showed me a company just yesterday that I can go to work as a contractor and they pay in Ethereum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, crypto. I didn't even mention crypto. When I think of blockchain, I think that NFTs and, you know, blockchain and as a a ledger system, um, which I don't think a lot of people understand at this point, but consider your resume will go away and you won't have a resume. What you'll have is a work history and that work history will belong on a blockchain ledger of some sort where every aspect of your experience will be on that blockchain and available to anybody and cannot be, can't lie, stretch the truth on your resume. Um, it could be, you know, every review that you've had, every certification that you've taken, every course that you've taken, all of that can be in there. So you get a really solid picture of that person that you're placing and you'll know how to make that fit better based on that uh, ledger entry. So somebody in today's world is running a traditional staffing company. How do you think they should start to look at technologies like that and plan for the future? Because those still feel like science fiction. You got to read. You got to read a lot. And the technology just changes so rapidly. There's not any one expert in all of technology. You know, back in the, and I'm going to date myself here, but back in the late 80s, it was very easy to be aware of all the technology because there wasn't that much. Now there's so much technology in so many different areas and it all impacts the staffing industry, all of the industries. And there's so much potential for it. But if you just stay in your little corner of the world and in your industry and just keep doing what you do every single day, pretty soon you're going to wake up and realize that you've missed out on all these opportunities. So, you know, like everybody, you just have to be reading all the time. And I know it drives David kind of crazy, but I'm a voracious reader. I'm constantly looking at this stuff because it just changes so rapidly and it's so interesting. And there's so much stuff that's that's happening right in our lifetime. And my biggest probably regret is I'm not going to live long enough to see all of this happen. Well, there's people working on the extension of human life for 50 to 60 years. So hopefully that'll come in time for us so that you can oh, to see a lot of it as well. Um, if I'm going to look at, in the future for me, you know, I, I wrote a question to myself, like 25 years from now, where would we be? And, and I couldn't answer it. Um, it's too if, far. If, if technology advances just as much as it did from 1996 to 2021 till we get to 2046, um, it's even hard to say with that, but technology is growing exponentially, not incrementally. Yes. So if I look back, you know, the secret to our success for 25 years has been about innovation, mm-hmm. about having a willingness to pivot. You know, whether it was by opportunity or necessity, 
we've had to throw out legacy thinking multiple times, embrace new tools, learn about them. Thankfully, you do all that reading, new business models, uh, new ways that we can help our clients uh, stand out and stay top of mind, sell more. So I think going forward for the industry, those, that's the key. Can I learn? Can I innovate? Am I willing to change? Because it's those who are agile and adaptable that will be the most successful in the years and decades to come. Yeah, I think agility was the number one thing that I was thinking while you're saying that you really have to be agile. And that means that you've got to have a solid business behind you. So you've got to have all those processes documented. You have to have your values. You have to live by your values. You have to be hiring very well and have a team that's willing to make changes and modify and look for things and bring them to the top and say, Hey, you know what, here's an opportunity. And you have to be willing to chase after those opportunities, even if you don't know if it's going to work. So you got to take some risk. All right. Well, I think we've we've gone way over, but uh, we've reached a good stopping point. I just want to wrap up personally by saying thank you. It's been an incredible journey of 25 years. It has definitely not been linear. It's been up. It's been down. It's been back. It's been forth. It's been yeah. really trying, and but it's also been a lot of fun. And to everybody in the staffing industry, if you're listening to this podcast, if you've attended a lunch with Haley webinar, thank you. Really appreciate people who like our ideas, want to be part of our ideas, want to share in them, because the real key to Haley Marketing's success has always been sharing, and we look forward to continuing to do that for the next 25 years and more. I can just say ditto, and, and all the young people will go, what's a ditto? But... <laughs> But I definitely remember ditto, making ditto copies in kindergarten and the smell of that. <laughs> but I, I will add to that, you know, if you've got ideas, if you see things in the future, if you see ways we can improve um, Haley Marketing Group, how we can improve our service, how we can improve our product, we are open to that feedback. Like I said before, feedback is a gift and we appreciate all of our clients, our prospects who just listen in, you know, and our team members. And we hope that you'll, you know, join the community and give back your ideas as well. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. And I will wrap it up with one last thing. Last month to celebrate our birthday, we had our Smart Ideas Summit. So if you were not able to attend live, we had 14 sessions over seven hours with a lot of the industry's leading consultants. And good news, we recorded everything. So as our final thank you gift for listening to the end of today's show, you can access all of those recordings by going to haleymarketing.com forward slash 25 bash. That's the number 25 B-A-S-H. From Vicki and I, thank you so much for listening to today's show. And uh, we'd love to have your feedback. Leave us a review, send us an email. Thank you so much for being part of Secrets of Staffing Success. 